everyone. Uh, welcome to the May 23rd QPSC. Um, we'll go right into roll call, please. Trustee Banerjee is not here. Trustee Bouquet? Here. Trustee Hernandez? Here. And Trustee Jensen is not here. We do not have a quorum. Uh, so uh, just to follow up with uh, what uh, the clerk of the board said, we do not have a quorum. Therefore, we will uh, call what a little bit of an audible and we'll, we'll rejigger the uh, the. Uh, agenda today and we're going to go into non-actual items until we achieve quorum and then after that we'll probably be moving into closed session if that's okay with acceptable with everyone is that okay with everybody um, with that we will open up with item e the report discussion on the SBU quality metric report uh, from behavioral health um, uh, Karen triple is listed as she's our CAO of course uh, but dr. Siddhartha and dr. Omalewa will be giving this uh, presentation to us. So uh, welcome, gentlemen. Uh, uh, we like to keep uh, kind of a standard work here. Our, you should presume that everyone has read the packet, <laughs> and we try to stick by this kind of mantra of 25% uh, presentation, 75% dialogue, if that's acceptable for you guys. Sure. Um, the floor is yours. And for all who are following along, um, their report begins on page 240 of the 274-page packet. <laughs> All right, welcome, gentlemen. Well, thank you for, thank you for having us. Uh, in this last uh, quarter, the main things, um, in the report here, there are uh, several things that are highlighted. The main aspects that I would want to bring to your attention is that the efforts that have been put in place uh, at John George in response to the several incidents of assault that uh, had happened in the prior months. We have initiated the FMEA process, the failure mode effect analysis process, and we have had two meetings. We have identified areas that are going to be addressed, and we are in the process of putting in uh, specific uh, operations in place to improve safety for our patients and our, uh, for our staff. The other aspect that I would like to highlight is that we had a CMS, sur uh, CMS survey and uh, we received uh, several corrective, um, uh, several uh, uh, conditional findings. And we have submitted the plan of corrections and we have already begun uh, implementing and monitoring our response. Dr. would you like to elaborate on that? Yes, so, so, good afternoon. Some of the plan of corrections we implemented include the monitoring of the one-to-one, -one, uh, making sure that um, the, anyone assigned to one-to-one -one is always with the one-to-one -one with, within an eye view, eyesight of the patient. And then in addition to that, we are making sure that we are monitoring the, um, the whole assessment of the patient involving if a patient is coming with several uh, multiple conditions, uh, those who are uh, physically compromised especially, the nurse has to make sure that all the assessment is done from head to toe and escalate um, any condition appropriately to the appropriate uh, physician or uh, supervisor as well. So we are doing uh, every week we're making sure that we're doing uh, randomly. We're selecting 10 shots. 10 shots from each, each, uh, each uh, department, uh, unit B, C, and D specifically. So that we are doing as we are moving up. And as of now, we are 100% when it comes into the auditing of those uh, 
that involve those criteria. The third thing that I would like to highlight is uh, uh, in the last few months, uh, we have had uh, increased length of stay in our psychiatric emergency services, impacting uh, the throughput for the whole system, especially transfers of patients from different emergency rooms to our PES. Uh, there have been delays, and uh, that has been a focus of our attention. What we have, we have had a couple, uh, couple of meetings about that, and we have identified some certain causes, and we have already put in place uh, certain uh, processes that should mitigate this problem. Uh, we continue to, even on census, when we are on census, we continue to receive patients from the community, uh, uh, patients who walk in, but the emergency rooms do get impacted. We, uh, as I mentioned, we have noticed an increased length of stay, and we believe that one of the significant things that has happened in the last few months is the new uh, homeless, uh, uh, related to homeless, uh, discharges of homeless patients. This has led to uh, some uh, increased interventions that are required for non-core patients that require some more time. The, if the impact of that has been more than that we expected, but I do also believe that uh, we are going through a phase of transition where we are just trying to uh, make sense of it, respond to it in an optimal way rather than responding to, uh, too intensely to it. And I think over the next few months we will see that uh, our length of stay in PAS is going to start trending down again. In addition to that, we've seen the increased equity you know, of our patients' population coming in. And as a result of that, because the safety is our number one priority, we have increased the recruitment of staffing and making sure that we have adequate staff anytime uh, to take care of those uh, um, patients as well. So that we are doing as we are talking now. Even last, uh, previous week, we recruited um, seven plus four, you know, RNs. And in addition, we have uh, 18 services needed now that will be included in the pool you know, of the workforce anytime, you know, a couple of weeks from now. Okay. Well, those are the main three things I wanted to highlight. I mean, I'm just if there are other parts from the other report, but anybody had any questions for Trustee Hernandez? Um, I don't know that you've spoken to this, and I'm sorry, I'm, I'm operating like Houston in the blind because um, we went to a new system and I wasn't uh, downloading my packet into my computer, so I apologize. This may have been discussed. Um, I, I'm a little concerned about the length of stay and that there continues to be a problem with that. And then also the return of patients to the facility seems to be high. And so um, just I, I appreciate how deeply difficult it is to manage that. It's just are there questions, issues, um, uh, resources that are uniquely different than what you already have that you need now to address that? Because that seems to be, obviously we want to see patients come back, so I just want to understand if there's something uniquely uh, misaligned or, or in need there. Thank you, Dr. Hernandez. Um, it is a problem for us, we know. But within our own uh, premise, we, we've done uh, restructuring of the workflow, mm -hmm. how we can make sure that um, 
individual patient is seen on time. And even with the introduction of the SBA 1152, mm -hmm. we're making sure that we can locate uh, a safe disposition mm -hmm. you know, for those uh, population. And the social services, they are working hand in hand with the physician as well as the nurses, and even the family as well, to make sure that we can quickly dispose or take care of those uh, patients. A lot of times, the recidivism is being caused by the fact that they don't really have uh, enough resources in the community, so that we know. But from our own part, we're working with all uh, tertiary institutions, um, Villa Fairmont, you know, Gladman, and other ways, to making sure that we can take care of those, uh, you know, those population. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, I would like to also add that, you know, the, about a few months ago, we, for the inpatient readmissions, we uh, changed uh, the way we are looking at it from positive readmissions to secondary readmissions. Now, uh, the challenge of that is that we don't have data from last year, which, so we're looking at a trend right now, and I'm trying to make more sense of it. Mm -hmm. uh, if you look at it, we are point three four. Day more than last year at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, so we, we, we are looking at it a little more closely, but it hasn't been long since we have looked at this data. Mm -hmm. And as far as the, uh, the length of stay, uh, for, their, uh, for the inpatient, if you see, we have uh, moved on to looking at observed uh, over expected. This is page 244 of the document for people mm -hmm. who are following in the packet. Mm -hmm. So if it's, as, as our observed, uh, if the length of stay has increased, so has our expected length of stay. The expected length of stay being calculated based on the patient particular characteristics, demonstrating a little bit of a shift to a more complex patient, patient population. And so the overall observed to expected ratio for, uh, one, uh, for 18 was 1.06, and our year-to-date is 1.10. So it's probably, you know, the observatory expected is around where it was last year. Mm -hmm. So it has not been impacted that much. And we, we do have instances of um, problem with the forensic patients. Mm -hmm. uh, we do have instances in which the courts, we order that this patient has to be treated in John George, and the jail system is not even ready to accept this kind of patient. Mm -hmm. So that alone contributes you know, to our, our increase, you know, the length of stay as well. Mm -hmm. Because the court is being, we are being mandated by the court to so say we have to treat this patient. So, so one of the things that maybe we could just make note of, I think this is a population that we all know is very difficult, very uh, challenging. And the more coordinated care we can provide, the better. And in some ways, it feels like this is a really good uh, retreat discussion, and perhaps we invite uh, the jail, uh, county public health, or all of the folks that touch that same population to talk about the coordination of care, because if we're not, you know, getting the coordination or support or, or collaboration, I, I just wouldn't like, you know, we're never going to do what we need to do, and, and it'll just keep coming back and showing up on your dashboard, and I think it's unfair, because I think it's really about that collaboration with the county uh, on, on many levels. Would that be fair to say? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's Dr. important to, uh, since Dr. Trouble is not here, it is important 
to understand the current state and the level of collaboration because there is a great deal of collaboration that happens currently that uh, that might not be reflected in the in the in the report and I, I just want to make sure that uh, uh, the board and, uh, appreciate the, the current level of collaboration. Uh, so, uh, if I may ask uh, to reconsider this after hearing that. Sure, of course. Yeah. yeah, of course. Mm -hmm. hey, I, I would say, I mean, I, I would add to that, uh, you know, to look at this on something, but I mean, I think as, as Dr. Mullah was saying is, we, it, it is a very fair point and a valid point because what's happening is we have, you know, these, the, the forensic patients that are being brought in from the jails, the courts are ordering certain, you know, they're, they're providing certain mandates those are subject to the interpretation of the deputies that are managing that population. And although those interpretations may vary between the clinicians and those deputies, it's resulting in, in a disconnect. And as a result, then, you know, in the past, when historically they would, you know, they would, if the patients were acting out or being abusive to the staff, they were then immediately taken into custody, taken to jail. Now they won't even do that. They won't even arrest the patients because they, they, they need to be here for treatment. And so, but again, that disconnect then permeates the organization because then the staff also feels a little frustrated because they're, they're the ones that are getting the brunt of these types of aggressive behaviors. And then, you know, they feel like the deputies or that their administration is not supporting them by making sure that these patients are or being incarcerated or, or, or handled uh, in a different way. And so it's this, this catch. And so I agree that we need to work collaboratively. We need to have these conversations. I do say, though, in that regard, I mean, I think an update to the bill would be great. I do know that Dr. Sadafa, Dr. Mullen, and uh, Dr. Tribble are all very engaged, working with the county and working with the jail system to make sure that we're not only protecting our staff, but also caring for the patients because they need help. And so that's the word about Would you like? And, and all I'm suggesting after yeah. we speak with Dr. Trello yeah. is if she thinks that would be valuable for the, yeah, for the board, valid. yeah, to maybe request that kind of, um, you know, a small joint session at one of our retreats. I, I just feel for you because this is a population that is so, so difficult to serve. Mm -hmm. And every all hands on deck need to be there for us to be able to do the right thing. So, yeah. If I could add, I mean, the, it's an interesting uh, transition phase even for legal law. Uh, the legal process, I mean, there's, I forget the name of the law, but basically uh, the state, I mean, the laws have been there for a while. So too many patients uh, stay in jail for too long a period. And uh, some judges are being more proactive about this and trying to get them back into the community. So this is again a transition which our society, our community is going to have to adjust to. We have just started seeing the beginning of it in my opinion. We'll see how it plays out. The point uh, that, uh, that is really learned, we are trying to solve uh, a big social uh, and legal problem with the clinical tool. And, and that's, that's really, you know, everything comes to our emergency department. And that's, I think, I appreciate your, your point on involving everybody, you know, just like pushing this on us as clinicians, as nurses, and there is a legal aspect and social aspect to it that, that needs to be addressed so not to bring the patient back. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Uh, gentlemen, and, and I, I know Dr. Triple's not here, so uh, uh, I'll go with forward this question. We're coming towards the end of our fiscal year, and as you know, we're positioning ourselves to target the next fiscal year. Uh, on your dashboard, there are eight items 
Um, are you are are you both of you familiar with this dashboard? Mm -hmm. So so as, as you're projecting, would you is it you're in not holding you? We're just having a discussion. Are these the uh, items that you would favor for moving forward for your dashboard for the next year? I, from my perspective, we did have a discussion uh, a few months ago about this, and I'm mostly satisfied with it. But, and I, uh, that's a more granular discussion. Uh, there are a couple of things here which are, uh, I mean, you know, does not really reflect or show uh, through. I mean, will shine this light on what we do, for example, especially E1, the alcohol and other drug treatment offered at discharge cooler measure. Uh, that's the one, I mean, I feel that does not really capture anything from our, I mean, it is a, it's, a very, uh, it's a very useful thing to look at, but in our setting, it does not add much to what we're doing. So it, apart from that, I think uh, it's pretty good. Okay. So, so which one you said? I, I so the one. alcohol and drug use treatment offered at discharge core measure. The reasons why we put uh, alcohol and tobacco, for instance, is because of the vulnerability of those patients. Anyone who is a schizophrenic or psychotic, we know that you know, could be instances of comorbidity. So they are the population mostly abusing alcohol, drugs, and tobacco, you know, inclusively. Mm -hmm. So and it affects their metabolic rates. So that should be right, that should be included. Okay. Yeah. So it looks like you, you guys have more to discuss, but, uh, discuss, but as, as you know, it's May. Uh, next year, uh, we have one more month before the end of fiscal, so in consideration. Well, thank you for being in that reminder that we will get into that deadline, so thank you for that reminder. Yeah. Can I ask, just in terms of principle, just related to this point, uh, one, if we are doing it and we have fixed it, there is no need to follow it. That's, that's a consideration. And then just in terms of the thinking process before we finalize the dashboard, uh, as, as it relates to the CMS uh, findings, if there's something which is very important to track, mm -hmm. we, this is something also to consider. Um, my, my other comment on the forensic versus non-forensic, you know, as we look at research, you know, there's always a thing called subgroup analysis, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, something to consider in the future, your, your, your non-forensic length of stay versus your forensic length of stay may be something to consider as you, as you look forward, uh, which could, because as you're bundling to, to there together, obviously the forensics are, are, are dropping the number for everybody. Sure. Mm -hmm. Thanks. Um, uh, th th this is sort of a little bit of a holder question, uh, which will, will probably migrate somewhat to, to closed session. But I'm going to ask our VP Quality to, to make a couple of comments. Uh, uh, Dr. Hussain, can you remind the board and, and everyone in the audience what a conditional level finding is? And, and walk us through, in, in just a minute or two, the process for which we're this organization is going to go ha have to go forward. Absolutely. So, um, as Dr. Sadarka and sorry, I say Dr. Pius, but I don't want to put you here. We're on a first name basis. Um, mentioned um, they've already enacted a plan of correction and a monitoring. But basically, what happens is basically what happens is that. Um, is that on top? Is it on? Hello, Okay. So uh, within 45 days of the uh, survey date, so we've entered that window uh, last week, um, we have to be able to demonstrate that we are in We have to, we start, we start. Tinder, do you mind starting over? No worries. So um, 
when CMS comes um, to do a complaint validation, they usually um, identify the uh, areas or the conditions of participation they're coming to survey. So in this instance, they have come to survey governing body, quality assessment, performance improvement, patient rights, nursing services, and medical staff. And medical Sorry, I'm forgetting. A governing body, patient rights, nursing services, um, uh, patient rights, and medical staff. Yes. Sorry? No, uh, medical staff. So, in any case, sorry, there's been a lot of activity recently. So, um, that said, uh, when they have um, find enough findings, they will sit, they will um, that reach a condition level. Um, they will notify us that we have conditional level findings, and in this instance. Um, the conditional level findings were in governing body, patient rights, and nursing services. So basically we have to submit a plan of correction and within 45 days of the um, date of the survey we have to demonstrate uh, that we are back in the window opens for them to come back and resurvey us um, to, um, so that they resurvey us, they find us in substantial compliance with those conditions of participation. When we are in, have conditional level findings, um, uh, in this instance, we have until July 30th to demonstrate that we are again in substantial compliance with those conditions of participation. If that doesn't happen, then our CMS dollars from both Medicaid and Medicaid uh, care yeah. are withheld. Without. Got it. Okay. So just so all are aware of this, and I know the teams are working extraordinarily hard on 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 a plan. Mm -hmm. that perhaps we might discuss again in, in closed session. Uh, gentlemen, I'll thank you for your report. I close uh, every section by sort of asking the same question, which is uh, a rank order of your top concerns, or rank order. I'll remind uh, uh, this body uh, and you what, what Dr. Triple said when she gave her presentation on February 28th. She said her number one concern was patient safety. Her number two concern was staff engagement. And her number three concern was resources. Do you, uh, gentlemen, have a uh, rank order list for us for your concerns? I think uh, the trigger is very correct. You know, safety is always the number one thing, and um, and it, it ranks in order that you mentioned. Okay. And we're working diligently to abide uh, with all those things, uh, making sure that we educate our staff, uh, providing appropriate information, and adding more to the workforce, making sure that we have enough staff to do the job. So that is continuously our uh, vision. So uh, same, same, number one, uh, safety, number two, engagement, number three, resources. Yes. Dr. Siddhartha, you agree? Yeah, as general principles, and okay. I would like to augment that by saying that over the next few months, we will be really focusing on our uh, uh, the, the corrective action plan about the, Medic with the Medicare findings and uh, our PS last day. Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen, for your report. With that, we'll close out. Can I just enter uh, a correction? Yes, of course. Uh, so the CMS survey at the core looked at the areas um, of governing body, patient rights, nursing services, and quality assessment and performance improvement only. Four. Okay. And three, we had conditional level findings on governing body nursing services and patient rights. Can you, so, can you clarify the governing body because the Board of Trustees is the governing body of the organization? Right. So usually what happens is that if there are conditional level findings, um, it would not be uncommon that the governing body is also cited. 
Um, this is to alert the governing body that the uh, level of concern that CMS has is something that the governing body should provide oversight on to ensure it gets corrected. Okay, thank you for that clarification. All right. With that, we will close item E. Thank you, gentlemen. We'll go into item F. This is another SBU quality metric report. We're always happy to welcome back Richard Espinoza, the CEO of PostQ. Thank you Thanks for having me. Um, I'll touch briefly on the metrics and with access, we had a very strong quarter in the year to date with um, our skilled nursing facilities that are keeping us acutely have therapies or therapy routines, as well as our rehab clinic. Well, Dr. Spelka, can you switch mics with so we've had a strong year to date and quarter for our lines and access in our post-acute environments and our SNFs, subacute units, ARU, and our therapy uh, units of service, our rehab clinic, um, which is great, um, but it in turn creates some throughput issues. And so we've been working um, through our post-acute uh, throughput committee with our external partners in the community, our SNFs, subacute units, home health hospices, to see how we can further collaborate. Um, and we've finally uh, finished a draft uh, agreement, a partnership agreement, that we shared with some of our partners uh, last month as a review that had some quality measures built into it, some time frames in terms of referrals, acceptance patterns, things of that nature, and they were all on board with that. So we're having a SNF forum next week on Friday with a larger group of our partners uh, to share that with them and see how we can better collaborate with one another with our throughput efforts um, from the acute into our post-acute environments. Uh, with that, we've seen continued efforts in our outpatient therapy wait list. We uh, started with 104 days, average days on the wait list, and we were able to get that down to 39 days. Um, in March, we did have a slight peak in April, but we are looking at, uh, as they are re-offing uh, services for additional therapy, it looks like it's generating another referral, so we want to double check to make sure we're not double counting or seeing duplicate referrals within the system, so we're doing an audit on that currently. In terms of our quality measures, um, all of the SNFs and subacute units are at five stars for quality measures, which is great. Fairmont was at a two and moved to a five. Um, but there are some areas that the SNFs uh, and subacute units are continuing to focus on. And so for Alameda, it's our short stay residents returning to the acute. Uh, California average is 22.8, we're at 30. And so we had implemented um, what's called a stop and watch program, which helps the CMAs identify changes in patterns in our residents, in their eating patterns, movements, mood, um, participation in activities, and so that they can identify earlier if they see a significant change, so we can try to catch um, a change of condition earlier and not need to transfer to the ED or to the acute for an inpatient stay. We did identify during our mock survey, which uh, I did with our director of clinical operations at all of our sites, that that system seemed to have fallen uh, to the side a little bit, and so that's an opportunity for us to improve and to make sure that we're monitoring that to see if we can bring that uh, number down and to make sure that we're, we're trying to catch things earlier within our environments. Um, CMS does monitor short stay versus long stay uh, as part of its quality measures, and so if you see for Alameda sites and Fairmont there, there are some differing uh, metrics that we're looking at in, in order to make sure that we're fine-tuning our processes, right? We're at five stars currently, but the teams want to make sure that we're continuing to build and, and fine-tune processes. Uh, 
right of being at financial stability. Um, there are action plans amongst all of these metrics. There are over 30 metrics that CMS looks at, and so for the majority of them, we're either at state averages or below state averages. These are some of the metrics that are slightly above um, that the teams are continuing to focus on. It's difficult to, or the teams have identified certain metrics that had higher variances and worked on those through their quality assurance performance improvement committees, and over time have been able to lower those um, uh, lower the um, percentages to be at state or lower, and so that's how it, the quality me measures have improved for the sites. And so, ED visits in return the acute for Alameda science is high, so that's one that we're focusing, or two that we're focusing on, as well as antipsychotic medications. We're about 2.2 over the state, but there is some opportunity for us to fine tune that, as well as catheter usage and our bowel and bladder programs. Um, for the Fairmont site, we have slight variance in terms of uh, antipsychotic meds, still not bad and close to the state average, um, as well as moderate pain. And pain for Fairmont is a big one that we look at, and we do have a population that has a history, some residents have a history of uh, drug usage, and so we have to find tune the process between physicians, nurses, and our residents to see where is the pain, how are we mitigating pain, how are we using non-pharmacological approaches to pain um, prior to prescribing medications. And also using medications appropriately with our physicians. So there is a big um, effort that's working on this, and so we want to make sure between our short-stay and long-stay residents that we're able to manage that and make sure that our patients are not in pain, but make sure that it's a balance between what we think is true pain and, and helping them through non-pharmacological approaches. Um, I would also say that um, we've been working very closely with our Highland Pain Clinic, and so we've been utilizing our programs throughout our system to help um, outreach and see what other um, opportunities we have to help our residents. Um, and for Fairmont, I think one thing that we've done that's um, been a, a big success has um, really revamped our activities program. And so we didn't see a large involvement of our uh, residents and activities previously, and we've, we've revamped that program and have seen and have seen a larger participation in that. And so in that, we're, we're providing programs and activities that are more suited to what the residents are looking for in that facility. So, we started cooking classes um, where the residents actually have to prepare the food. Um, I think they were used to being served the food, and, and they would come and say, "What's you know, what are we eating today?" And said, "Well, you're actually preparing this and this activity." But it's also helping them as we're discharging residents back into the community. Right? We're helping them to learn those activities of daily living, um, so that they're not being put back in the community and then wondering how am I going to prepare food for myself or have those resources available. Um, we've also started programs where for our residents who are at risk for eloping, three times a week they're actually going out on the campus in a group supervised so that they have that opportunity to be out of the facility in a supervised environment and it reduces that anxiety for those residents that want to go out. Um, and so we're seeing some greater engagement in the residents and in, in as much we're seeing some of the workplace violence numbers decrease um, because we're engaging those residents in activities that they're finding to be really meaningful for them. Um, I did mention the mock surveys. We've uh, completed those for all of our sites. We're anticipating, as I mentioned before, six surveys any day from today through November or October, yes. And so um, twice a year I conduct with the Director of Clinical Ops now 
Absolutely. And we've done this many times, and we've been through surveys many times, so we look at dietary, nursing, activities, social services, the environment, life safety aspects, and we prepare 2567 just like CMS would do, and we give it to the teams, and then they prepare a plan of correction. Um, so we did identify some actually some patterns in some of the buildings that um, we were able to share and, and the planning corrections have come back already and those plan of corrections will go to our QAPI committees that each site has and each uh, committee meets on a monthly basis to ensure that the processes that we put in place are help mitigating and improving those um, processes within the facilities to make sure that we're delivering the best care possible. Uh, falls is uh, another area that we've been focused on. We did have, uh, we've had two residents that had multiple falls that added to our percentage of increase uh, in terms of falls, but we also had an influenza outbreak at Park Bridge. And when we have an outbreak uh, per public health and per CMS, we do what's, it's called closing down certain activities. So we close down social activities, we close down social dining as not to expose residents who might have influenza or who might be carrying influenza with other residents. And so by doing that and, maintain, and holding that pattern for 72 hours um, since your last onset of influenza-like illness and then getting clearance from public health, you can start opening up to readmissions and new admissions. While we close the facility down, it changes the patterns of some of our residents. And so some of those residents had some, I would say, some disorientation to their normal uh, functions and their normal activities. And so that did create some of those residents who are and who do have poor safety awareness and who have some cognitive deficits from their normal routine to have some falls. We've seen that number drop in May. I think we're at 50% of falls from what we were the month before, so getting back to the normal routines and really following our, what we call the Falling Star Program to make sure that those that are at high risk are identified and, and the staff know who they are and we have the appropriate inter interventions in place. Lastly, I'll talk about patient experience. Our, uh, our acute rehab is one that gets uh, patient experience on a monthly basis. And so they are um, well above satisfaction from what is budgeted. Our SNFs and subacute units are done by a third party called My Interview, and that's done twice a year. And it's done twice a year because in that environment, it takes a little more time, and the length of stay for the residents is longer. And so it takes time to implement change into some of those areas that they've identified as wanting to see improvement, which could be food services, types of food. Um, we've also implemented what we call angel care programs where the managers are assigned to certain rooms and three times a week they go visit that resident and document that they visited that resident or if the resident is not able to make their needs known with their families and we talk to the families and say, do you want us to contact you that often or once a month and we're able to identify areas in real time that uh, residents are finding to have a compliment for or having a complaint about. So my food came and it was too cold. So we will immediately take that to our dietary department uh, at our stand-up either that day or the following morning, address it, and then come back with an action plan not only for that resident, but we take the notion of if it's affecting one resident, then we have to believe it's affecting the entire facility. So we put an action plan in place to say, how do we prevent this from happening? And so we try to find resident satisfaction in real time and resolve those issues in real time 
time so that we're seeing a quicker turnaround um, within what the residents' um, concerns are. And then the angel of that resident will go back and say, has this been resolved to your satisfaction? And then we get a yes or no. Um, and then we're able to know if we've been able to sustain uh, the new um, process. Lastly, on our dashboard, um, we would have more greens that our satisfaction is one that's in red, that it's in red because the national peer average is 76%, and all of our sites, excluding Fairmont, were well above that. And so what we did was said, can we do even better than that? And so as we set our targets, we set our targets higher than the national average. And so although all sites except for Fairmont are above the, at or above the peer average of 76, it's still less than what we had targeted for. And so the teams are looking at the my interview results. They're picking two items from that to see what they can focus on and sharing that with the residents during resident council so that they understand that we're working on those processes. Um, I would say that's my, my quick and overview of that. If there's any questions, I'd be Thank happy you. to answer. Trustees? I have a Sure. Trustee Banerjee has joined us. We now have a quorum. Yeah. Sorry about that. I don't want to share. Excellent, excellent report. Um, Richard, in just so many um, powerful ways in which um, the staff and your team care for the patients. I have two questions. One is that you spoke about pain meds and you said, you know, that there's a way in which we kind of try to gauge if there's true pain. Uh, so just in terms of you know that there's disparities in how pain is perceived in some, especially if they have you know other um, issues as well, various uh, mental health issues and things. So a little bit about that. And the second thing is that as you transition your population towards family and like how are you preparing them for that? Because I'm sure there's some anxiety among the among your patient group to be thinking about a complete change of as you kind of get them stable in their own surroundings, they have to be, you know, also be prepping for the change that's coming. Sure. So I'll answer the easier question first, which is the transition. And so the acute rehab is what's transitioning. And so the, the average length of stay in the acute rehab is 14 days. And so there will be a population in the facility that will be in the building when we do move, but it won't be the population that's there today. And so um, to answer that question is that we have uh, an acute rehab committee um, with San Leandro that's meeting on a weekly basis, and we've met with um, everyone on the acute side and the ARU side from all the support services, from dietary, EBS, the contractors, nursing, um, materials management, uh, EOC, we've had the expertise of Sandra Williams there to help us. And so there's an ongoing um, meeting and, and follow-up and working with our contractors. We're currently finalizing all of the documents for um, the application for San Leandro. Uh, so there's a, a, a really robust and strong effort that's happening around the move. And so, but to answer the question about the patients, it, it, it won't be the patients that are there today. So we are preparing a letter and we will be talking to our residents and the family members about 30 days prior to the move. And we'll give it to every admission that comes into the facility. So whether they are in the building at the time of move 
um, or if we give it to them and they leave before that time, they will be informed and, and that we will meet with them and understand if there's any concerns that they may have. We're also utilizing our entire post-acute team to help with the ARU move. So we're utilizing our administrators, our directors of nursing, our directors of staff development who are not necessarily in the acute rehab, but will be in the new environment at San Leandro on the day of the move to help um, acclimate the residents to their new space while the nurses are busy with the transfers and the admitting of the patients. So that gives them a little flexibility for the staff to be working on the transition while we have our post-acute leaders from the other sites helping with um, orientation and acclimation to the new environment so that there's an extra set of hands. We've, we've talked to our ambulance company and we have that plan. And so there's been a very extensive effort for the move. Um, that has been ongoing. In terms of pain, pain is difficult because it's subjective, right? It's, uh, you know, my pain level is probably much lower <laughs> than a lot of folks. But we do work with our residents closely and we work with the families because we have some residents who may not be able to voice if they're in pain or not because cognitively they may not be able to, to make that assessment. For those residents who can and that we do know have a history of, of drug use, we, we are helping them by having AA programs at the campus and so that they can participate in that and, uh, and although AA is a little different than NA, um, we want them to understand some of those patterns of uh, needing um, medications for um, depression rather than pain. The physicians work closely in terms of diagnosis, we work closely with the physicians in the pain management environment and then we work closely with our nursing staff. They work in our CNAs, they work so closely with the residents that we understand, you know, do we see a pattern of there's pain in the evening, there's pain before um, therapies, do we pre-medicate before therapy so that they can participate in, in therapies, we use translators when it's necessary so that we can gauge, um, but we also have communication boards for residents that um, have pictures and diagrams of pain and levels of pain in terms of assessments, we really want to work on that as well. But it is a tough one because uh, residents who have been on medication for a very long time might believe that they need that, and they may need that. And so just working closely with our physicians and our clinical teams and the residents, um, we don't want to make decisions without their input or their family's input so that we can make sure that we're making more of a holistic uh, decision with the residents. Um, and then using non-pharmacological approaches, um, we've started a sleep menu program at our um, Park Bridge facility. So having a menu of items that they might want that might help them sleep, that might give them comfort, having music at the bedside in the evening, having an eye mask or things of that nature, trying to find things that might help ease some of that pain before we, we are going to medications. <laughs> I hope that answers that. That, that does, yes. Um, Mr. S Richard, um, uh, again, same question that I gave to the prior SBU report. As we're forecasting for next year, do you, what in changes do you anticipate to your SBU dashboard? Um, so, I think, so I think um, we have some CMS uh, changes in terms of quality measures within our acute rehab and within our skilled nursing facilities that are going to be changing later this year. And so um, I think adding those to the SBU so that we can make sure that we're monitoring those measures um, to make sure that we are uh, within state or below averages and to make sure that we're not waiting until it's happened, but being proactive about monitoring those measures in advance. And so I think there will be about four others that we'll be adding. Okay. Um, but I do think we also need to continue with the, th the outpatient therapy as we've seen significant gains, but we certainly can 
McMore. Excellent. I'll, I'll end with the same question I ask everybody. Do you remember what you said last time? Oh, sorry, uh, Trustee Hernandez, just you go first. Question. Yes. Um, Richard, I, I'm just looking at a couple of lines in your report that suggest, uh, as a whole, uh, this particular service line at AHS is, from what I understand, quite profitable. You're doing quite well. There's a lot of really good information here that suggests, you know, the amount of care that you're providing, all of that, it, it seems to be up. Would that be a fair way to characterize things? So I would say our teams, um, and one thing that we've been really focused on this year, uh, as we've had new leaders in management roles, and so, for example, our rehab managers, we've restructured and realigned that. And so as we've had new managers who are in or who were in traditional clinical positions, we've done a lot of education in terms of financial education, right? So volumes, productivity, data monitoring, opportunities for improvement. I would say we work closely with the acute hospitals and so um, we look at opportunities to, you know, really bring residents in to help with throughput and make sure that we're, you know, as best as we can not having residents in the acute setting who probably don't meet criteria anymore. And so um, those have been our focuses because some of our residents are residents that other facilities wouldn't take the name of insurance, and so no freestanding for-profit organization. Come and see the CEO, but I want to minutes. Given that we want to be very mindful of our financials uh, at this time, I'm, I'm just congratulating you that there is some evidence that what you're doing seems to be helping and um, maybe for the rest of the board we should be looking at, should we have another SNF facility? Should we have other places like this if there's such a demand for those kinds of services? Yeah. And is it more acute? Rehab, I think there's more shortage of like the acute rehab in the East Bay. Is that, am I right in kind of question? thinking about that? Yes, and post-acute, uh, like skilled nursing facility, I don't, I'm, I'm, this is my belief that I... You're asking if you want to grow, the answer is yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll allow Richard uh, to respond with uh, much of the expertise uh, uh, that we all rely on. Uh, uh, but uh, my understanding is uh, SNF capacity is also uh, uh, quite at a, at quite a, a premium uh, these days. And, and it is certainly been a continuing discussion uh, uh, for us, obviously. I, don't, I think we believe that we have uh, great expertise uh, in this space. Uh, what we don't have is the capital to invest in building. In fact, we believe that, and we know actually from uh, talking to our partners at the Alliance that the demand is great in this space. For us, though, the challenge is uh, um, we don't have the capacity to do it uh, in terms of actually investing in uh, creating the space unless we can create that in partnership with the county and other partners. Uh, and we believe we do a great service, particularly for those complicated patients who we have a difficulty placing anywhere else. But what you can speak to the demand. I, I, I would echo that and just say the acute rehab has seen a great increase in terms of its volume and its um, average daily census. And so we've been sustaining about 25, but I think the, the, the bigger need is in SNFs. And so whether it's our SNFs or freestanding SNFs, they all run between 92 and 100% occupancy. And so even as we are working on this partnership, there's still 
still limited beds in the community. Um, and so uh, I would echo to Becky and say that we do have some really strong expertise within our environment. I, I would say um, it's stronger than a lot of organizations, and I think we have the right people in the right place to help make that happen. Um, and so if we could grow, I think that would be great. I think it would be a great opportunity to offset um, some, some more of the throughput issues that we're having, but we also do... Uh, to pat myself on the team on the back. They do a really good job. They do a really good job. And, you know, I'm very thankful to work with that team. So. Thank you, Richard. Thank you. Thank you. Richard, uh, as to my standard question, I'll remind you what you said in February 28th. You said your number one concern was Sapphire. Your number two concern was your acute rehab move to San Leandro. And your number three was changes in CMS, CMS reimbursement. And numbers four through six were the number of surveys you have coming between May and October. Is that still your same priority list of concerns? I would say they're all still on the list. I, I would say with all of those changes happening and, and within the system and within post-acute, especially around EPIC and the move and the surveys that are coming, really um, employee satisfaction and... Um, I'm sorry, Richard, so number one is employee satisfaction? I just specifically the amount of changes that we're going to be going through and the surveys that we're going to be going through and the epic that I want to make sure that uh, we're not, um, that we'll be mindful of. Uh, so that's uh, your number, I mean, it's yes. your list. Yeah, that is my number one at the moment. And then we're going to have a busy summer, six surveys, epic, the move. Um, and then the CMS changes that are happening. Sorry, I make people, I make you're people. Making me, yeah, I'm making what, So number uh, one is employee engagement, number two? Uh, Sapphire. Okay. Mm -hmm. Number three? Uh, CMS changes slash CMS surveys that are coming up. Got it. Richard, thank you for your presentation. Sure. Uh, with that, we will close out item uh, F. And now that we have a quorum, I'm, uh, I'm going to make a little bit, bit of an adaptation. So we normally open up with uh, closed session. We're going to now move into closed session, but I want to give everyone a heads up just by way of convention for the public mic. Closed session is used for uh, discussions of confidential matters and is an 1157 protected discussion. One should only be in the room if they have a relevance to the discussion. Uh, for, for the board members and for the members in this room, I've had uh, a little bit of a side bar with council, and we're actually, for, for reasons which we'll explain to you in a second, have to actually divide closed session into another closed session. Uh, so we're going to open up, uh, Mike, is it okay if we actually start small and then go big, uh, like we said before? Yeah. yeah, so I would um, suggest that we'll different from what we had discussed earlier. So the first part of the closed session, we'll deal with medical staff credentialing, there is a smaller issue. Okay. Perhaps we begin with that. So yes. Uh, at this time, we would ask that um, the members of the committee, uh, certainly stay the uh, members, uh, the CEO and the CEO, uh, but other than Dr. Ingenio, uh, everyone else, uh, Risatira and uh, Dr. Maldi, but we'll need everyone else to. Okay, and this will, this will probably be about four or five minutes, and then we'll go into closed session B, uh, and we'll, we'll do part B. All right, everyone, welcome back uh, uh, to open session of the QPSC, May 23rd. We've just uh, finished uh, closed session um, um, where we approved uh, credentialing and had discussion with regard to quality, which was 1157 protected. With that, we'll move to item B, uh, the uh, consent agenda. May I entertain a motion to approve? So moved. 
Second. Um, I'll open this up for discussion. Any item, any discussion for items B1 through 3? This includes the minutes, uh, three system policies and procedures, and a very large bylaw and rules and regulation. <laughs> any commentary from um, the QPSC? My only commentary is uh, I, I again ask for a consistency amongst the documentation. Uh, again, system MEC is noted on the first policy on page 21, but the policy on page uh, for policy two on page 25 has all three MECs uh, formatted differently, and then the, pol the policy three on page 32 goes back to using system MEC. Just looking for consistency. Just looking for consistency. Can somebody comment on some of that MEC? That, that would, because those are changes that I remember related to that. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, under your report, basically, Mike, this is just the consistency of making sure all the policies and procedures look the same. Look the same. Um, with that, uh, all in favor of approving the consent agenda? Opposed? Abstentions? All right, we gained a little bit of time back. We'll move into item C, uh, the QPSC chair uh, report. Uh, I'm going to keep this one a little bit shorter uh, given our time constraints. This was a really interesting article, and I want to kind of talk about the genesis of why I chose this article. This article is on uh, page 206 of M1's packet. And the, the article is entitled, What is Quality Worth? Quantifying Potential Cost Savings. And a, 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 an interesting concept which I've never really heard before, uh, called, uh, which we've entertained but not the terminology, the cost of poor quality. A concept of the cost of poor quality. And, and um, what, what, what was my driver here was I, I attended the finance uh, uh, meeting a, a few weeks ago, and there were deep and very appropriate discussions being made about navigating this extremely challenging time we have with us. What I did not hear, uh, and I'm, obviously I'm attuned to it as the chair of the quality uh, committee was, there wasn't a discussion about quality per se in the discussion of the action items, how, however we were going through that. Uh, tonight we're going to uh, uh, approve a resolution uh, on the full board, which was, which was drafted by the executive committee of the board. And, and, and I'd submit that maintaining a, a, an eye towards quality is sort of essential to what we do. And this is why I chose this article, because it, 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 it strives to entertain that, that, that marriage between finance and quality. And it's, it, and it's an extraordinarily difficult one. And, and, and our, our finance chair is in the room, so thank you for coming, uh, trustee. And, and uh, not to belabor this over a little bit of time uh, sensitive here, uh, I, I would, I'm going to forward this article to the finance committee just for their consideration. Just not that this is the exact right construct, but the fact that it's to, to be considered in things financial, I think, uh, would be my position. And I'll, I'll end with the, with the final quote on the, on the second page. The value of cost of poor quality as a financial planning tool is that it makes a clear business case for why a healthcare organization should bother about quality. It shows you that quality is not just a thing, it is the thing. It is a strategic imperative and as the reimbursement climate continues to change, understanding how to use 
the COPQ, the cost of poor quality, will only become more important. Just an interesting consideration is, I know Dr. Hussein's team is working extraordinarily hard. What is the cost of 114 survey visits? What does that cost? And I, I, think, I, I think we don't know. Uh, and, and so, as I, as I submit to, to this board, all the members in this room, and of course my finance chair, maybe, maybe embedding quality in all considerations that we have uh, is something that we, I think we believe in, but we don't ostensibly say. And maybe, maybe something to consider. With that, I'll, I'll, I'll close out my comments and open it up to the board. Yeah, we have an opportunity for that, but really, when we look at this, that the, the quality is not anything, but they observe kind of like, you know, in our mission, in our margins, and all of that, as we do that to keep that central, is uh, just something, safety and quality is something that is, we just have to keep. Um, Top of mind as we make these discussions, but certainly pertinent. There were so many times during this session yeah. when you, you were, I was referring to portions of this article. Yeah, the, I think the difference between being conscious of it and being overt in our in, in our in, in our discussions of quality with with things finance might be a change in mindset. A change in mindset. I would just offer that you cannot achieve quality without health equity. So keep in mind that many medical errors, many gaps in service, gaps in service delivery, can happen and be influenced by a lack of equity. Absolutely. The third E of steep. Mm -hmm. third e of steep. Mm -hmm. So with that, we will close out item C, and we will go into item D, the medical staff reports. Now, uh, uh, Chiefs of Staff, the 40 minutes have been allocated for this, but you see that I'm hopelessly managing the clock poorly. So I, I, I will ask your indulgence and try, try to move as quickly as possible because we have a very large discussion about uh, uh, our TNM forecast, which, and I want to give Dr. Hussein more, more mic time to, to navigate us to that discussion. So uh, with that, um, dealer's choice. Dr. Ingenio. Sure. Uh, credentials were discussed uh, in uh, the previous session of the issues. Uh, I know that there's some uh, contract services probably not come to us to discuss. So I think the other issues, and I apologize for not having a final report because our MAC was this Tuesday night uh, after the time to submit this documentation. But I think I can uh, speak about a few issues. So um, the bylaws uh, related to the merger, um, uh, we've had discussions, uh, Dr. Bedard, Dr. Jamalzi, and I, and there are still some concerns. Um, the revised bylaws were sent to that, the, uh, as you may have heard last week, with that, or last month with Dr. Ray Conti, were sent to the, to the, the medical staff for their um, vote without our even being aware that they were. Um, but uh, I believe that most of the issues related to um, staffing of the local leadership committee, um, really the policies and procedures which can be adjusted as needed around the basis, because there are still concerns about who the specific, at the center of the campus, who the specific representatives are. It's not specifically delineated there, and we have concerns that there's somebody from each discipline that is concerned for the emergency department. You know that members of the council are a diverse group of all different specialties. Um, the 
kind of wanted to have it articulated that everybody would be mandated from each uh, discipline to be in person as well as members of the AAC. I think that can be worked out. It was done in a different fashion as the IMAC is done with the chairman and the vice chairman and then at large or members, which doesn't specifically mean that they have to be of different specialties. That, that's my concern. I'm concerned forward, perhaps, and maybe in, in a nefarious way that's not appropriate, but I think that it could happen to have the same specialty. That's, that's the point. And that's not the, the gist of what the, the higher MEC needs. They need doctors from all different disciplines to be referred at that and voting. So but I think that can be worked out. Um, we also have some concerns um, related to um, QRC. It's not exactly clear how that's going to be done on a local level or at the higher end. And the concerns that were uh, voiced at the NEC on Tuesday night were if all the QRC for that campus is done at higher end, we have to be realistic. There's meetings and there's a calendar that I have all done during the day when everyone is at the other campus working. And most of the physicians, I would say, um, are the, uh, not exactly currently, on board positions, but to really positions, and to try to get those positions to leave their practices during the day and go to meetings, those are various ones. They may not be realistic, I think it's unrealistic. We do have meetings in the evenings to mitigate that problem. Um, and so, um, with the MEC, for example. And so, um, so, hopefully that can be worked out. Maybe uh, there is a solution with doing some local QRC that then a person can report. Because to do QRC on uh, cases from afar without anybody who really is cognizant uh, of what the issues or the particular case are can be problematic. It can be very difficult for the community to do. Um, and so, I think that uh, there may need to be some understanding as to um, some local review of cases that are then better than presented to the, the uh, main QRC um, committee. I'm not quite sure how that's going to work out, but there's, that's a work in progress. Work in progress. Yeah. Unfortunately, not hamstrung by either the rules and regs or the or the bylaws on either of those. No, it's not at all. Um, the, uh, there are a couple other issues. Um, well, uh, some of the members of the board had some concerns. Maybe we presented data by Mr. Fonseca two months, two months ago, I don't know if ago about the uh, collection ratio of 18% um, across the system, I believe was the number we used. And members of Santa had some good concerns about that. Um, hence the reason we have requested some local members, because that should not be the case with payments at some point or hospital um, with a high Medicare treating the, the seniors and the, the community. Um, there's a high incidence of Medicare patients with very different payments than Highland, for example. When you compare the two, an 18% collection ratio should not be the case there. Now, I suspect that that's diluted across the system, but it would certainly be nice to know when any senior members expressed interest in knowing you know, what it work locally, you can have control of what you do locally, and to see if they can have any effect, if it's really going to be the number so low, then it could be something that could be done at the local level, because it should be a lot better than that, the revenue and that. I'm not a financial person, maybe uh, Mr. Fonseca in the future can talk about that a little bit. Um, and I didn't mean to blindside you, but it was, it was a concern that the MEC had. Um, the, uh, 
boiler issue um, was, and I'm trying not to get it. When this merger happens, I will no longer be attending this meeting because I am no longer the chief of staff or anything. Okay, I'm going to be the chief of the committee uh, ongoing until my term is up, which is the local leadership committee. Um, and so I am willing to come if the board wishes me to, and I offer that to RMC, which they felt I should make that offer. If you want me to come and still speak for the campus for the time being, and perhaps even at least through the epic transition, I'm willing to do that. On the other hand, the way the board is structured, from my understanding, once I am no longer the chief of staff of the hospital, which I won't be, um, then I will not be attending this meeting. That's up for decision of the board. I think the board will have a discussion about that. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Those were the, uh, the main concerns that we had. Uh, there, was a, there was another concern, on, on, and I, I don't want to go on too much, but on the election of the representatives to, I mean, was this discussed last time? Right. I don't know. So the, the way, it, it's very different, the way that the medical staff leaders are selected in the, the hospital. There's a nomination process and there's a vote of the medical staff. Um, and anyone with, uh, a petition with a number of supporting, and it's a small number, five or 10 or 15 positions supporting it, can be put on the ballot. The total democratic process. The process that's currently in the NEC is not that way at all. The chief and vice chief are appointed by the chief of staff. And then the two at large members are from the members uh, of the committee, the seven disciplines in that committee, um, and who are uh, selected by those members. And then there's a vote by the entire medical staff for those, which would be the Highland Medical Staff and the San Leandro Hospital Medical Staff, for those two at large. They're not called at large, so I don't know the correct phrase, but, but essentially they're at large members, that would be voting members. So that is not similar to the process that we have now. And I understand the reason for that, because the chief of the department, Highland, was recruited for that job. Um, the chief of anything within the medical staff since they're employed position. It's, it, since the majority or significant number are not, and the members we're going to see are not at San Leandro, that is a different process mm -hmm. um, and of some concern to the medical exact there. So just that I bring that up. It could be discussed further. Yes. Um, and when I brought up having perhaps an election of by the staff that's predominantly in that location to vote on those representatives, that was did not go very well. Um, we're all over medical staff now was the response that I got. And I totally understand that. However, there are certain positions that predominantly practice in that site and perhaps they should be the ones that um, are uh, being represented on the NBC. That still needs to be worked out. I don't think there's any uh, plan or agenda to not have that happen. I just don't think it's articulated well at all. Trustees? Can you get the phone down, so. Okay. Anything further, Mike? No. Uh, Mike, uh, uh, Dr. Wakanti uh, spoke to me last time on my standard question. Her, her top three uh, concerns were number one, three throughput, number two, Sapphire Epic. 
Number three, the Met staff merger. Can you give me your rank ordered list? So what I would do is I would change the number, the two or three I'd, I'd keep the same. Number one I would change to the ER3, but kind of there's more of a global issue that I've seen at San Diego. And you know, we're told, really I had to transfer a patient from Alameda that was San Diego. And I went to South and maybe it's a higher level of aspirin. So it's, just, it's not generally a problem. We have other equipment in the facility. And I was told indirectly that patients would be transferred, no beds. And I just been on the floor. There were either you know, 39 beds and there were 25 people in the census because I'll check when I'm there. So there's four beds. There's no nurses. And that seems to be a chronic problem. It's been a problem that's caused the ER bed closures, the staffing that was done there. And now it's becoming a recurrent problem, I think, even with the floor patients. So number one is throughput? Nursing availability. Nursing availability. Yes. For staffing for the, the bed. Okay. Number two? Number two is the. Uh, uh, Sapphire Epic? Yes. Number three, three the staff. Staff. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Thank you. for your report. Ongoing dialogues, Mike. Uh, Dr. Magalong, coming down, coming down the, to the table for the Alameda Hospital. Welcome back. Thank you. Good uh, afternoon. So for um, Alameda Medical Hospital staff, the medical staff, um, so uh, we discussed credentialing and privileging. Uh, we have no concerns on that. Uh, we did not have any uh, professional or contracting services discussed. For uh, quality and uh, outcomes, we uh, discussed the true north metric dashboard that was presented to us. Um, we did have some improvement in our hospital score by 0.5, which is good. And uh, we had some discussion about uh, the specialty coverage at Alameda. The uh, uh, chief of cardiology and the cardiologists that, uh, 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 that are on staff uh, attended our meeting and uh, we discussed our, our cardiology rounding schedules and uh, availability of uh, uh, to the echoes in the weekend. So that is being uh, worked out right now. I think there's a, a general agreement of the, the type of, uh, uh, of the standard of uh, uh, cardiology availability on weekends from the cardiologist, but you know, there are some staffing issues that needs to be worked out. PDE um, procedures are, were discussed as well, as we, uh, we are at this time unable to do that at Alameda, and um, with this being uh, worked out, it's mainly because of uh, sterilization procedures. Neurology um, coverage is also um, was also discussed, and uh, we have uh, Dr. Duray, who's our main neurologist there, has now coverage with the help of neurologists at the uh, um, Highland campus, so which is also good. Uh, that gives her time to uh, take her breaks uh, and vacations as. It's a single coverage uh, at this time, so that has um, improved. Uh, we also have um, an unannounced uh, uh, survey from CMS, and I don't know where from, and we like this. It's just the venue to... Yeah, you, 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 the mic is yours, and that sounds like it was important to the, to the happenings in Alameda Hospital. Yeah, so it was um, in response to a, uh, uh, again, a patient complaint, um, mainly due to um, uh, uh, medications being given um, without uh, consent of the patient. Mm -hmm. So there have been some, um, several meetings and discussions with the medical staff on how to, uh, to uh, 
for the plan of correction. So the uh, areas that we're focused on were the governing body, pharmacy, nursing, patients' rights, and, and medical staff. So, um, and uh, further uh, discussions were made uh, with regards to the, uh, the transfer of patients from Ireland to Alameda Hospital. So uh, beginning this month, uh, there's a, uh, a fourth team of the hospital service that was added to help with the transfer of patients and it's been picking up really well. Uh, we have uh, regular scheduled meetings with Dr. Trinabeni uh, with the, uh, the, the transfer uh, team to work out uh, kinks in the workflows and uh, the, the, to ensure that the patients uh, being transferred are safe for them and uh, that, the, that the provider that's being, that's set to accept those patients get the bulk of, of those admissions. Um, we also had discussions with um, we, uh, with our teleradiology uh, services, specifically with uh, issues of turnaround times, which was brought up by um, the emergency physicians at uh, Alameda. That is also being uh, addressed uh, and discussed. Any other reports? Any questions? Dr. Maglong, you and I uh, previously had a discussion. There was, uh, please refresh me on a discussion about order sets and approval of, of order sets. Oh, yeah, I uh, forgot about that. So um, so there were order yeah. sets that were uh, brought up uh, for MEC approval. I think um, there were, we had discussions about clarifying uh, 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 or improving the um, the code status selections on um, that was proposed to the MR. I think there's one section in the order set where we felt that it would be it could be made better and improved, provide more clarity for both the physicians uh, and the patients when we explained it to them. So um, the order sets were approved, but with the hope that the the uh, code status section can be uh, reworked and I think uh, we're reaching out to the other uh, medical staff to come up with a, a better language or workflow as to for the selective treatment that the, uh, the patients do choose to do so uh, for that uh, particular order. Is this a wordsmithing issue or is this an operational issue? Uh, sorry, Dr. Jet. Yeah, I can talk to this. Uh, you know, as you know, we have uh, tried to, as much as possible, avoid delay, delaying this order sets. Uh, but uh, unfortunately, I had to leave before the discussion about this order set. So I had the opportunity to look into it and the concerns of Alameda Hospital medical staff, which were valid. And uh, I uh, had discussion with Dr. English. And uh, I, um, uh, Dr. Toranabini uh, also did not attend that session. She has worked on this order set. So we looked into the best uh, standard nationwide. And we, uh, Dr. Toranabini went to the uh, library with an epic. So uh, we, we think that the concerns are valid. And then we are going to accommodate for these concerns after we get agreement to have standardized throughout the system. We have looked also, Dr. Toranabini looked into the Contra Costa uh, epic uh, Epic order sets and Cleveland Clinic and uh, and UCSF. So then we are going to look into this and give a fair uh, 
adjustment. Okay. So you still have that window to do those things? We can, yeah, we can. I spoke to Dr. English. Uh, we, we are going to be able to do that. Okay. Dr. Malong, does that address the concern? Yes, thank you very much, Dr. If you'll please message that back to your medical staff. Yes, I will. Thank you. Um, L, um, Joseph uh, gave his top three last time as number one was neurology, number two was cardiology, number three was the transfer center. Can you give me your rank order list, please? Um, so cardiology and neurology has been addressed, I think. Um, okay. Well, congratulations. Thank you, thank you so much for, for, for that. Wasn't me, it was him. <laughs> and so I think, uh, yeah, I think patient safety is our number one right now. Safety? Especially with um, our CMS survey. Two um, would be Sapphire, okay. and, and three would still be um, specialty services at Alameda. Uh, we still have some you know, minor things with cardiology, and uh, we have urology services that we're hoping to, to get at the hospitals. Okay, wonderful. Dr. Maglon, welcome back. Thank you for your report. You. Dr. Ballard. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. So, mic on now? Mic on. So the uh, our medical executive committee approved the appointments that are in your packet. We also approved a um, policy and procedure that actually addresses the process of bringing over a large number of physicians that need to be credentialed. And so we've developed a policy around that because it's something that we've not done before and, and it will need to be streamlined to effectively make sure that all providers are safe and that all the boxes in, are checked and I's are dotted and T's are crossed. So it's a labor of love by our um, medical staff office that, that this procedure and policy exists at all. So thank them. There's also the bylaws that were um, went through the appropriate uh, channels and processes and were voted on by our medical staff. They are basically a, a scaffold which the future can be built and I think um, you know there's there's a great deal of discussions and and concerns around motivations behind what the bylaws say and, and I can simply say it's a scaffold what the working day-to-day -day processes will be are based on a mission statement and a charter for this new committee and we as a, a medical staff felt it would be more appropriate to enlist the input of the people on that committee into helping build their charter and, that, and um, mission statement than to us to make it and then impose it on them. So that's why it's not more detailed than it is. Our medical staff were conclusive, conclusively in favor of it um, with a few small concerns about logistics of medical staff joining in that sort of thing. Um, there's, I think, uh, within the conversations around this merger, there have been a lot of conversations about um, maintaining a collegial and supportive relationship. And, and I'm hoping that as we move forward through the summer, that it becomes ever so clear that that, that is truly the, the spirit that we approach this endeavor from the med staff of the Corps. And we hope that boards like Nefarious and other considerations are dropped very quickly as we move forward in this process because that is not at all what has transpired in our meetings and our hopes in discussion and planning the joining of these two medical staffs. 
So I'm hoping that they will accept our, our bylaws um, and move forward and become part of the core medical staff. We also talked about the professional services contract, um, which that we still have none. I think that those are going to pick up as we move forward through the rest of the year. Um, quality and outcomes, we're continuing to work incredibly hard on the surge web process, and it, it's maybe an AD overcrowding issue. There are some lights at the end of the tunnel, I believe, having heard multiple conversations and seeing the graphics across the last six months now. We are still in surge red or overcrowded um, about 29 hours every month if we leave the data that we have. And we can get better and we are going to get better because they're building the, the infrastructure to make that happen in the near future, I hope. Other issues, um, the biggest and most exciting part was that our Department of uh, Internal Medicine and our Department of Pediatrics gave their departmental reports. And um, I'm going to have Dr. Bate just give you a, a little snapshot of what the crux of her talk was. Um, the entire talk should be in your packet, the entire PowerPoint, so you're welcome to peruse them. And if you have questions about the pediatrics one, um, when Dr. Carey gets back, I'm happy to forward questions about peds to her. August, the, pa this, uh, the Department of Medicine report uh, begins on page 211 of the packet. Welcome, Dr. Oh, thanks. I'm happy to answer any questions about the report. I wanted to highlight, I wanted to highlight all the amazing work that my department and my team has done over the year. It's been an exciting year for the Department of Medicine. Um, I think the, the two things that I would like to bring to your attention, which I think we're um, focusing on um, with um, extreme vigor at the moment, aside from things like implementing and training for satire, um, are the market increase we've seen in the last two years on our inpatient volume. So the graph in there demonstrates that in 2017, we held an, a held an average census on our inpatient service at Highland, somewhere between 75 and 85 patients. Um, over the course of uh, last year, that moved into the 90s, and now we're well above the hundreds. Um, there are a lot of reasons why our inpatient census is higher. Um, patients, our average length of stay in our CMI uh, are increased, um, but it doesn't obviate the need to care for these patients, and so there is a major mismatch between our current staffing um, and our current um, and our current volumes. Um, the other major um, challenge that we're facing as a department um, has been some recent feedback from the ACGME, which is the accreditation body for our internal medicine residency program. To give you context, we have approximately 67 to 68 internal medicine residents that we train every year. We're incredibly proud of our program, and especially in the last, I would say, six to eight years, we've seen market improvements um, in the structure and quality of our internal medicine present, uh, program. I think that's reflected in your packet in our incredible fellowship match for two years in a row. We really place, successfully placed residents in amazing specialties that are highly competitive, that match reflects uniformly their first choices for their fellowships. So it's incredible. We also continue to train amazing primary care providers and generalists who go around in the community and continue to serve the underserved. So those are the positives. We have an incredible faculty of educators who are highly skilled. The negatives are that um, we received a citation in April from the ACGME based on last year's survey. Dr. Bain, uh, remind the uh, audience what ACGME is. 
oh, it's the accreditation body for the Internal Medicine Residency Program. So we received a, a citation from them from based on last year's survey. We received it in April of this year with two citation, one citation and one warning. Um, the first was uh, a citation around a violation of the 80-hour work week. Um, and the second was a warning around a violation of CAPS. So namely that a, a resident cannot be responsible for more than 14 patients at a time and an intern cannot be responsible for more than 10 patients at a time. Uh, subsequently, we then received the results of this year's survey in May, which was much worse than last year's survey. Um, there were some major themes, um, the first of which is that our residents feel that their experience here is one of service over education. Namely, they spend more than 60% of their time doing clerical work and non-physician work. Um, this includes things like calling and following up on canceled tests or diagnostics, uh, trying to track down social work and care management about a care plan, and the list goes on. Um, so service over education is a big deal um, if you violate that with the ACGME, um, and so uh, that's one thing. Again, it noted violation of the ADR work week and um, of the CAPS as well. What was most marked about the survey was the level of burnout, and I will tell you, what was interesting to me is that in light of everything that was just mentioned about the residents' current experience, uh, the burnout level was higher amongst our faculty than it was the residents. And so I think that uh, obviously this is something that I take very seriously and, and I'm going to be working really hard to rectify. So what are we doing? Um, I think talking about is the first step. We've had a department meeting. We're going to be meeting with all our core faculty and the residents around the survey. Um, I'm creating a task force within my department to address the faculty wellness issue. And then to address the service over education issues, we're starting weekly dyad meetings with our dyad partners, so namely Dr. Turnabene and Teresa Cooper uh, in the acute care setting to figure out how we can streamline things. So the clerks are doing the clerks' work, the social workers are doing the social works work, and that allows the residents to take care of patients and to learn to take care of patients. And we have to figure out how to restructure things um, so everyone is more accountable in that regard. And it can't just fall on the intern or the resident to call for the medical records. It, can't, it can no longer fall to them. Um, we'll be partnering with our surgical colleagues as well in this because I think, I think they're having a similar experience. Um, I'm grateful for the partnership from our administrative dyads and I think we'll work together to try to rectify this. But this is, these are serious findings and something that we as an institution need to take very seriously. Dr. Bain, thank you for that report, that sub-report under Dr. Ballard's report. Trustees, questions? Remarkable work. Remarkable work, and thank you for notifying us of concerns. Yeah, excellent. Dr. Ballard. So my, my three. Uh, yeah. So I'll, I'll remind everyone what Dr. Ballard said last time. Number one was budget. Number two was Sapphire. Number three was the merger. Okay. So this this time around, I think um, the budget has has morphed into morale around the budget. Okay. Because as things become more um, known around the institution, morale is, is definitely going to take a hit and has already started. I think to couple with that, I'm just going to make items one and two kind of a word salad, if that's okay. So it's morale around the budget. And I think number two-ish would be um, a focus on awareness because I think that you know we can probably balance out some of the morale um, deficits with really focusing on wellness as a group of providers. 
um, and resiliency along that same line. And last, lastly, number three would be continued communication, which I'm seeing glimpses of more and more communication, and it's super exciting. And I just can't encourage people enough to stop taking sides and get in a room and discuss stuff. And Absolutely. let's just be a team. Excellent. Dr. Ballard, thank you for that report. Uh, Chiefs of Staff, thank you in collective. With that, we will close out um, uh, your item, and uh, I will apo apologize to the audience here. We're going to run about plus 10 or 15 minutes because we have an, an important item uh, to discuss still. Item G is the Patient Safety and Regulatory uh, Affairs Report. This is a standing report. It's written uh, with, with begging the indulgence of the other committee members. I think we're going to move past this one for right now. Comment was made in closed session. We will now move into kind of what was my original design for the bulk of this. I apologize, Tanvir. This is important. This is the True North metric forecast. It's a it's a very well written document uh, for us, for all of us who I know have read it. Um, the, the reason we're positioning this, remember as we come on to 1 July, that's the new fiscal year, we need to reset our goals or reframe our goals. Uh, and and I, we've squared away moments uh, here at the last retreat. Um, and then next month we, we will need to bring this to a vote. Uh, Dr. Hussein has written a very, very nice report which begins on page 259 uh, of, of the document. And Tanvir, if you can as quickly as possible frame us up for, for what will ultimately be a vote next month. Sure, absolutely. So um, the first page just reminds us of the principles that actually we identified the last last fiscal year, which I found um, are still uh, very helpful guiding principles about how we would select the true north metrics for the coming fiscal year. So um, what we tried to provide or in the document is an assessment of what the current true north metrics are, how they um, align with the pillars, um, and in the dashboard you see how they align with the steep framework. Um, and then some recommendations on um, keeping them, modifying them, or potentially moving them into other areas. So trustees, uh, if, if we can kind of just work down the list and just to refrain for everyone, we selected 13 metrics for this TNM dashboard. Um, uh, and this is on page 260 of the document. Um, uh, the recommendation from our quality team is to keep the first three, which are the ambulatory appointment lead time, the ambulatory appointment uh, lead time for, for, for primary and for specialty, the observed to expected length of stay. Um, um, uh, it is my personal opinion that it makes sense to maintain them. We, we just, we, we're going to be having a lot of uh, lifts in this organization over the next few months. Changing our data sets might become more problematic. And, and I think the guiding uh, principles that Tanvir put were aligning these, you know, as I say, one essay, uh, two classes, you know, uh, getting it for operational stuff, fiscal stuff, and then of course the quality. So I, I, I would submit, and we're not voting, that, that I think that's perfectly appropriate commentary on the first section. Yes. Uh, Tanvir, I do have a question on uh, median time from decision to admit inpatient bed, and, and you made a nice comment. I just need you to clarify what that means. It says modify this metric uh, for towards timely and effective care to align with the CMS definition. Can you tell me what that means? Yes. So um, 
I didn't put too much detail in here because it does require some dialogue and some additional investigation. Um, but in brief, in systems that have OBS, um, patients who go into OBS are taken out of this, of the denominator of this measure. Yeah. We don't have OBS here at Highland, so those patients uh, remain in that time. So I guess what I'm trying to say is that it will be important to identify what is our, what are we trying to actually get at. Okay. Are we trying to create a population that's similar to how this is externally measured so we can benchmark ourselves better? Um, otherwise, we'll continue to see an inflated number. Yeah. Um, and, um, and this actually was in the True North Metric report, but we are recognizing that um, I think now 20% of our patients are, who are inpatient status are actually being discharged from the ED. So those might be individuals who would in fact qualify for OBS and would be removed from this metric. So we just need to think through that a little more. We wanted to put that idea out there and then how to refine that methodology a little more, but wanted to see if perhaps it was worthwhile to propose a clear methodology around that. And um, my initial response, not to dominate here, but anyone is it, aligning with CMS metrics makes sense. My question is, do, do we or do you anticipate we will have the capacity to 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 gather that data and analyze it as such? Currently, sorry, currently, and then, and then there's a different a different process because we don't do OBS here. So there's that that's a sort of a strategic level decision, isn't it? No. Yeah. So we can use a proxy. There are ways for us to create a proxy, stratified with subgroup analysis, yeah. um, to try to potentially remove people who have a length of stay of less than an A, for example, okay. who might qualify and other organizations under OBS. So we can think through that methodology a little more um, so that at least you have more, a more comparable number. Okay. Um, it makes perfect sense. Is this doable or not? Yes, yeah, so the other thing just for all of these measures is, uh, and going back to what you were saying, Trustee, is we are doing a lot this coming fiscal year, including transitioning to a completely different platform to gather data. Sure I understand. So there's going to be quite a bit of work that we'll also have to do about um, measure validation um, once we move into EPIC. So I'm also thinking about all that as we propose to you achievable. As we reserve time again for on this uh, line on this item, can we can you give us a little bit more of that next time? Absolutely. Um, moving down the, the kind of tack list, uh, uh, the proposals to keep the prime metrics on target. Yeah. Um, uh, for me, uh, and, and this makes perfect sense, trustees. Mm -hmm. uh, similarly, for the QIP metrics, uh, the all-cost 30-day readmits is a CMS metric, and so we get a little bit of a twofer on that. I, I agree that we should maintain there, so we're almost halfway there. And it's a good counterbalance the length of stay. Got it. Um, Tempere, uh, hospital acquired infections index. You're, you, you're making recommendation for uh, a modification to add surgical site as well as C diff. Yes, I think is we uh, will have better we have better control uh, of the data. So we are recommending to um, add this to our hospital acquired infection index to give you a more total view. And again, a CMS star metric, which sure. makes sense. Can we do this? Do you think uh, we'll be able I to? Do this? Yes. Okay. I feel good at the moment. Good. 
hospital-acquired harms index makes sense where we care about safety. Um, any questions closing out that section? All right, just uh, four to go. Uh, HCAPs. I, I can't see why we would argue against that one. Okay. Um, HCAPs rate the care transitions domain. I got to tell you, this is one that I really never really understood. Um, so, so you're 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 recommending to remove it. Can you can you remind me what this means, and then and then we can discuss later whether to take it away. Yeah. So actually, this metric, um, care transitions, rolls up into rate the hospital. Okay. And it actually is its own metric as well in Prime. So in some ways, we're representing it three times on the dashboard. And it's rather better just for us to include it in the narrative for Rate the Hospital as sort of one of the drivers. So what I was thinking about Rate the Hospital is that's a global measure. And in the narrative, we can even give you a little table that tells you here are the drivers of Rate the Hospital, one of which is care transitions and show you the score. That doesn't make sense in my mind. The true balance metric should really be a high-level overview. And in the narrative, we can give you um, that. So. I think it was just redundant on the dashboard. Right. So you're still capturing that data. Correct. Correct. It, it somewhat reflects a, uh, an evolution in our own thinking. Uh, care transitions uh, tends to be or has been one of the more challenging areas for uh, organizations uh, like ours who care for a complex patient population and all the challenges of uh, throughput that we talked about earlier. Uh, and so because it was called out in crime as one of the key drivers or key metrics there, we wanted to, historically, we thought it made more attention to pull it out mm -hmm. and further uh, define it since we we're going to be focusing on it in the plan, but call more attention to it. But uh, I think uh, the changing thinking is, is already there. And as we think about kind of streamlining our focus, we, can, we don't need to count it in more so many places. Right. The only thing is that because things happen during transition much more than at other times, during, like, uh, so at least at QPSC and things, we'll be able to see that, and in the narrative, we'll be able to. Absolutely. I would like to continue absolutely putting it in the narrative. Thank you. Uh, CG caps uh, rate the provider uh, makes obvious sense, and then uh, the inpatient behavioral health mean I think going the same way as we're discussing. Yeah. So on this one, just I was thinking that um, I think what we're getting to is a place in the True North metric dashboard that it really reflects a lot of the publicly reported high yield data that has multiple um, implications. I, I, so inpatient behavioral health mean a couple things. One, it is not actually required reporting. Secondly, um, uh, actually, John George is the only non-voluntary uh, psychiatric hospital part of Chris Ganey, so it's very difficult to get benchmarking. Um, and and um, so what I was thinking, and, oh, and this coming year, actually, we are engaged in an innovation strategy with Chris Ganey to find a survey that's actually more suitable for patients in behavioral health settings. So there's going to be a couple of modifications here. So I worry about it being represented on the True North metric dashboard that you know we put up on our internet. And maybe this is a metric we actually put on the SBU dashboard that we hear about quarterly um, uh, during the SBU presentation. I think that makes sense, and again, we'll, we'll, we'll migrate this to, to next month's vote, uh, but I think all the elements we've discussed. So what, I, what I'm seeing from here is we're, we're going from 13 down to 11. We've, we've lost, I think, two. Is that right? 
we will, yes. Okay. So I agree. Uh, yes, we will uh, reduce it to 11, but I just want to assure everybody the data will some come to you in different ways. Yes. <laughs> so I, I would like to bring up something for discussion again next time because I know we're time pressure. And this was a discussion that Dr. Jay and I were having about consideration of other, med uh, other efficiency, one of the steep uh, uh, things about avoidable hospital days. What, 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 would avoidable hospital days be something which might be something worthwhile to have on a true north metric dashboard? I would argue something that we should we, that, that we can consider. I'll be better about time management next month so we can actually have that discussion. But um, uh, you know, we're losing two. You know, we could we could have a net of zero or or what have you. But it's just something to consider, Dr. J. Yeah, I mean, this was just a thought. Uh, yeah. we, I thought it was a great thought. We are currently giving it uh, a great deal of attention about uh, what we call uh, preventable admissions uh -huh. and, and avoidable hospital days. So, Is that an easy metric to, to get a number on, given our data systems, avoidable hospital days? We need to look into it, there is, but we, uh, I want to make sure about the robustness of the data and the granularity, how we can make it actionable down uh, okay. the front line. Okay. Felicia, Dr. Tornabani, any comments? Uh, nothing to add. Okay. 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 I have a question. Trustee Hernandez. Um, so I've asked about this before, and, and now that we're looking at this uh, with the uh, advent of EPIC being uh, on board with our systems. Does it make sense, uh, Ted Boy, at some point to have a number of these um, broken out, maybe annually, not every month, because it's really difficult to do every month, but annually to look at equity? Yes, yeah, so um, actually uh, I had a meeting with Dr. Swift just yesterday or the day before. Um, and we uh, looked together all the prime and QIP metrics stratified by race, ethnicity, and language. And uh, we are trying to come up with a standard way to do that. And even actually, the the so we're working on the data part of that, and then I think that will probably be part of a larger strategy around equity, which I'll relinquish. Yeah. Okay. So just a reminder, uh, we, what we're trying to produce, uh, sort of separate and distinct from this, um, uh, is a diversity, inclusion, and health equity, two different components. Uh, a, a, um, sort of a report card that looks at current work and future perspective work. That would and, and what our proposal was is that it'd be sort of a biannual, not an annual, but a biannual um, um, thing that the board looks at. It would be something we produce and have uh, routinely, but it would be a focus of uh, a board review twice a year. That's great. And so that's, And we're still working on that, but we're going to produce that. Thank you. And if I could uh, of uh, for the um, for the number of metrics, uh, I just want to echo something uh, Dr. Hussein said, which is uh, uh, we are mindful of the idea of um, or uh, the fact that Sapphire is going to be happening next year, and some of the things around you know validation of data, and as we go into a new system, will be a challenge. The other thing is just the robustness of that work, and so uh, there is a sort of a global push to try to. We're just talking about. I think three or four of the pillars now, but we are, uh, our, our thrust is with you to try to 
uh, actually contract the number of, of metrics just so as we go through this dance, we're not so confounded by integrity and just lose the value of the overall dashboard as well. Makes perfect sense. Okay. Thank you. Dr. Hussain, thank you for that. Do you have enough, do you have enough stuff to work with for putting us up to vote for next, next month? Absolutely. Okay, wonderful. With that, we close item H. Item I is the, t the existing TNM dashboard review. It's a regular setting item. It's in your packet. Uh, we, we, I'll beg your indulgence and we'll go past that. And with that, we'll go to item J, the tracking calendar. Uh, next month, uh, we are uh, set to hear uh, from uh, the acute SBU, uh, and then we will uh, make for a vote on the True North metrics forecast. With that, I'll close item J, and we'll go to the last item, council. Yeah, so the uh, committee did meet in closed session. Um, we considered the credential reports from each of the medical staffs and proved those candidates who met the qualifications that were presented by the medical staff for privileges and credentials. Uh, the committee also uh, considered a request from the San Leandro Hospital medical staff pursuant to Article 8 of its bylaws and approved that request. Uh, the committee took no other action. Uh, council, also a uh, uh, delineation of privileges for the CRNA. CRNA. Did you say that? We approved that in close. Did yes. you say that? I dismiss yes. that. No, I did not say that. Okay, so that, that was the other action they took. Okay, got it. Uh, with that, we'll close out. Uh, plus 15 minutes, my bad. Thank you. That closes QPSC.